Good morning. We are in a new month. A new month. August. Woohoo. New theme, a world that works for everyone. And I wanted to, to start with that because, you know, that is really the theme for Centers for Spiritual Living. That is a global statement that Centers for Spiritual Living came up with years ago, and they continue to revise it. Um, and, uh, and I love it, actually. It's a beautiful statement. It's a poetic statement. It's an inspiring statement. And so... I know that it's been written and rewritten over the, over the years, and, and uh, this is what we as a spiritual community support and believe. And so this is the, the public statement, really, for Centers for Spiritual Living Worldwide, and it says this, a world that works for everyone, we envision all people, all beings, all life as an expression of God. We see a world in which Every person lives in alignment with his or her highest spiritual principle, emphasizing unity with God and connection with each other, a world in which individually and collectively we are called to a higher state of consciousness and action. We envision a humanity awakening to its spiritual magnificence. I love that part. That's one of my favorites. And discovering the creative power of thought. A world where every person discovers his or her own personal power and ability to create individual life that works within the world that works for everyone. We envision a world in which we live and grow as one global family that respects and honors the interconnectedness of all life. A world where this kinship of all life prospers and connects through a guidance of spiritual wisdom and experience. We envision a world where personal responsibility joins with social conscience in every area of political, corporate, academic, and social sectors, providing sustainable structures to further the emerging global consciousness. We envision a world where each person has enough food, a home, and a sense of belonging, a world of peace and harmony, enfranchisement and justice. We envision a world in which resources are valued, cared for, and grown, and where there is generous and continuous sharing of those resources. We envision a worldwide culture in which forgiveness, whether for errors, injustices, or deaths, is the norm. We envision a world which has renewed emphasis on beauty, nature, and love through the resurgence of creativity, art, and aesthetics. We envision a world that works for everyone and for all creation. Isn't that lovely? That is a beautiful statement. It's a poetic statement, and it's a statement of intention and inspiration. And today's talk is a life worth living, which I liked when I came up with. But after sitting with the title for some time, working on this talk, I kind of started feeling a little ambivalent about it. Kind of sounds judgy, doesn't it? What do you think? A life worth living. How judgy is that? Yeah, a life worth living. Who's to say? Who's, who's making this judgment? Who's making this determination? A life worth living? I don't know. We absolutely cannot say that about anybody else's life, right? Whether or not someone else's life is worth living. We can hardly say it about ourselves sometimes. I don't know. I don't know if we're the best judge even of our own lives. I mean, who's to say whose life is worth living and whose is not? I don't know. What, anyway, so all of that got me, got me thinking about the title, and then I went off you know, to this new title, 
How about a life of meaning, which I thought was kind of an upgrade <laughs> well, over a life worth living was a life of meaning. And then, of course, I went down that rabbit hole <laughs> as well. Anyway, so whatever we want to call it today, a life worth living, a life of meaning, a life well lived, whatever we want to call it, um, we, we know what we're talking about, right? We do know what we're talking about. Or do we? See, the rabbit hole keeps getting bigger and bigger. What makes a life worth living, you know? What makes a life of meaning? So I was researching it, and I found this uh, psychology journal, and, uh, and they had uh, uh, interviewed many, many people. And this article came up with the top four answers that people responded with when asked, what makes a life worth living? And these four, in no particular order, were, what makes a life worth living? Nothing. It was one of the top four answers. <sighs> Cynical much? <sighs> Happiness was another one. Happiness. Religion was one of the top four. And, and the fourth was grouped together. It was work, play, love. Work, play, love. The balance, I guess, the balance of these things. They were lumped together. So, so, so let's start with this list, right? Let's start with the number one. What makes life worth living? Nothing. <laughs> these people, I guess not only is their glass half empty, but it's cracked as well, <laughs> you know? I don't know. Kind of, a, kind of a depressing, nihilistic sort of Nietzsche philosophy or a Schopenhauer kind of David Benatar anti-natalism sort of belief, you know, you know, like, we should all just sue our parents for giving birth to us, you know? <laughs> How dare they? <sighs> uh, you know, his theory that it's morally wrong to create sentient beings. I love it. It's kind of an interesting thing. But, you know, the, the, the philosophy of Albert Camus, who, who strived to come to terms with this, this idea of a life worth living as the ability to live with presence, which I kind of, I like that term, the ability to live with presence despite the knowledge that we're impermanent. And I thought that was kind of an interesting idea. But, you know, we are part of a, of a spiritual community here, right, where... We're, we don't really buy into the impermanence thing, you know? Um, um, this is where we part company with the nothings, <laughs> with, the, with the no meaning things, you know? Because we don't believe we're impermanent, do we? No. According to the science of mind and spirit, we are birthless, deathless, timeless, immortal, eternal beings who are having a temporary experience in the flesh but not a temporary experience, right? So we believe that this is just one of the experiences that we're having, that there is, there is a limitless uh, uh, expressions in the universe, and this is one of them, and we are capable, after we drop this particular suit, of doing something else, right? That the, that the, the essence of us, the spirit that is us, moves on that spiral of life that we are eternal beings. So that's kind of where we part company with that group. 
So that being said, the really the nothing group doesn't really adequately define uh, as a religious science our life worth living very much. I don't know. So let's go on to number two, happiness. Because we love that, right? We're kind of into happiness. Hmm. But you know, psychological reports indicate that happiness is a result of events, right? Happiness is a result of the things that happen to us. <gasps> something happens and we get really, really happy. But then what happens when something else happens that lets us down, right? Happiness is not a permanent state of being. It's just, it's really, really based on events. It's an external, what they call external locus of control, right? Something great out there happens, I'm so happy, right? Something really awful out there happens, I'm so sad. You know, those people up and down, up and down, up and down, right? You know exactly how their day went by the look on their face. Um, <laughs> I'm happy because this happened. I'm sad because that happened. I'm, when we are dependent on external events to inform us how to be, we're going to forever be on that roller coaster. We're never going to be able to be stabilized. We're always going to be at the effect of people, places, and things, and events of the world. That's from the outside, the outside in, and that is also not really in alignment with, the, with the, the philosophy of religious science, right? We all know that everything begins in consciousness, right? Everything begins in consciousness. We get to decide that we are joy. Qualities of God. It's right up there. Please, let it be up there, right? <laughs> yes, there it is. Okay. Joy is up there, right? Joy is a quality of God, so it's a quality of us. It's, it's, we're made with it. We're, it's one of the ingredients, right? It's one of the ingredients we were made with. So we are joy. We don't have to find it or seek it or make it or try to find somebody who's got it to give it to us or any of that stuff. We are joy. We are that. We need to let it out, right? So it doesn't matter. It's not dependent upon circumstances or events that happen or occurrences in our lives. We just bring the joy. We can just bring the joy to everything that we do. Everything that we do, everything that we are involved in, in good times and in bad, we can still bring the joy of God to it, regardless of what's going on in our lives. We can bring the peace. We can bring the, the unity to all of the situations. And, and really, by our presence in the situation, we can actually heal the situations, right? Because of our joy, because of our unity, because of the peace, because of all of those qualities we bring to any situation. So we're the joy. And the joy is not dependent upon external things. The Dalai Lama's message is really simple. He said, most people look for the joy in wrong places. Everybody seeks joyfulness, but from the outside, from money, from power, from big cars, from big houses. The ultimate source of a happy life, even, uh, um, even physical health, is inside, not outside. It's inside. It's what we bring to it, right? So joy as a quality of God is always with us, always with us. Happiness comes and goes, right? Depending on what flavor ice cream we have. You know? <laughs> oh, I got the chocolate. That's happiness. But the joy, the joy just resides with us all the time, all the time. So, all right, so we could see happiness is making a life meaningful. What about the third one? Religion. Religion, you say. Why are we here this morning? <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so religion, personal, personal spirituality, 
A lot of people say their religion or their spiritual philosophy are the, uh, is the major source of happiness in their lives. It is the major source of, of making meaning in their lives. So you go, okay, which religion? <laughs> Don't you like to stir the pot just a little bit, you know? Or which, or which philosophy? Which kind of spirituality, right? What is it about the God stuff that makes your life more meaningful? Is it the dogma? <laughs> um, is it the doctrine? Is it the candles? Is it the afterlife? Right? What is it that makes life more meaningful? You know? Is it about the presence? Is it about after you die? Is it about, I don't know. And what religion? Right? Christianity. Then you say Christianity, then which kind of Christianity? There's like 180 different Christian religions out there. Did you know that? Good grief, you know? Or which form of Islam or, or you know, or, because really, honestly, when it comes to formalized or traditional religions, not one of them holds the high ground, really. They're just different choices that people make that they resonate to. You know, and then you have the spirituality or the everything happens for a reason, people. Right? Oh, everything happens for a reason. Secular spirituality, right? Yeah, and, and that actually does not provide for a, a, a life well lived, or it can, right? But these are all individual choices. You know, we, we, in religious science, okay, we reject the superstition, right? The dogma, the duality that most traditional religions are involved with. We reject the idea of instilling fear by guilt. You guys are going to hell if you don't tithe more. Come on. <laughs> See, we can't. <laughs> See, we don't do that here. <laughs> oh, God, that's too funny. We don't, we don't manipulate by guilt, right, to try to get people to perform or behave in any certain way or in order to get them to gain entrance into heaven or some kind of guaranteed afterlife or some faraway existence, you know? That's just, that's not what we do. That, that being said, you know, it makes it sound like, okay, now everybody's going to get up and just leave because it's like, why religion, you know? Let's just, let's just move on. But that being said, there is a case for religion, right? There is a case for spiritual basis for your life, for religion or for your personal spirituality, your personal cosmology to create meaning in our lives. Because that's what we crave, isn't it? We do crave this idea that we're here for a purpose and a meaning, and what is that? And so we, we do gra gravitate toward a, a personal spiritual philosophy that will fulfill us. And Ernest Holmes said this, he said, you are in the unique position of being both judge and jury in your own life and experience. You weigh all the evidence in connection with any situation or problem, and after due deliberation, you will announce your verdict. The sentence or penalty involved is one you cannot avoid. And he, says, he goes on to say, sometimes it's not even necessary for you to come to a verdict on your own. Instead, you readily accept ones that may have been pronounced on you. This immediately raises questions. What are you doing to yourself? How valid are the verdicts you have reached or accepted? What kind of a sentence are you serving? 
What kind of penalty are you paying? How much are you depriving yourself of love, health, abundance, joy, happiness, and the other things that make life worth living? This is probably not a person, there is probably not a person living who has not in some respect limited his or her own experience of the good that life has to offer. But regardless of the manner in which you find yourself limited, there's always ways and means for you to cast off the shackles and discover a new freedom. And that's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to know. That's what this spiritual philosophy is about, is about casting off those limiting ideas and knowing for ourselves, right, and making the decisions for ourselves, what works for us, what doesn't work for us. Right? Many people feel socially isolated and they find a community. They find a spiritual community. They find spiritual circles. They find groups like this of like-minded people who, who they can relate to, right? that we get along with, that we can find purpose and meaning within groups. And there are all kinds of groups out there, aren't they, that you belong to, that you resonate with, that you support and that support you. Viktor Frankl, in his research, both in the concentration camps and afterward in private practice, he said the crucial thing for individuals surviving and thriving is to develop a personal sense of purpose and meaning. And isn't really that all what we're all doing? Purpose and meaning. What is the next goal? What is the next thing? What do I want to contribute most? In our faith philosophy, we believe in a practical spirituality, one that gives us tools to purposely change our thinking and change our lives, right? We, we talked about that. Enabling us to change conditions around us. No dogma, no superstition, no duality, just practical tools in order to change our conditions, which leads us to number four, work, play, love. I love the way they lumped them all together. I don't know why they did that, but I love it. So, so then we have to look at work, play, love, and then decide what it is you mean by that. What do you mean by work? I mean, work can be your income-producing activity, yes? The thing that pays your bills, what you do for a living. That's your work, but maybe it isn't. Maybe it isn't. Maybe you, your work is your passion in the world. What you bring to the world, what you create but it may not pay your bills, right? Your work in the world might be something entirely different. Simon Sinek said this. He said, working hard for something we don't care about is called stress. <laughs> working hard for something we love is called passion, right? And maybe your work has nothing to do with what you do for a living. And that's okay. Many times what makes life living worthwhile is not our vocation. Right? Rabbanath Tagore said, I slept and dreamt that life was joy. I awoke and saw that life was service. I acted, and behold, service was joy. Right? So, so your work is what, what you're here to do, what you're here to create, what you're, here, what you're passionate about. And then there's play. Play includes everything we do for entertainment. What do you do for play? Who's, who plays? Anybody play? Yes, thank you. You should all be playing. It's what we do for entertainment and for enjoyment and for lightheartedness, for fun. We all have to be willing participants. <laughs> you need to have fun to release the stress, to let go of frustration, to exercise our muscles, to exercise our minds, right? or a combination. 
We all have to have play. Play boosts our creativity. Did you know that? Boosts our creativity, improves our health, keeps us in the present moment, connects us one to the other. Connects us one to the other. Lots and lots of things. Lots and lots of, of advantages to playing. We have lots of players here. Oh, probably not like that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> People that play. Which leads us to love. And that can really be infused in everything, in the work, in the play, right? So the, that's, the, that's the, the fourth thing. Is, I mean, the third thing is love. That, that makes life worthwhile. Love. Love includes familial love, romantic love, you know, parents, I mean, uh, uh, familial love like parents and children and sibling and cousins and, you know, all that big extended thing. And then, and then there's the romantic love, your sweetheart, you know, whoever that is. And it extends out from there, doesn't it? You know, cousins, then it's your, the neighborhood, then it's, you know, national, then it's global, then it just keeps going and going, right? Unconditional love, agape love, just love for all living things. All living things. I mean, we can get that big with it, can't we? Our circle can get that big to include everyone, because we're that big. I think that's a, a, a life worth living, if we're going to use that term, or a meaningful life, if we're going to use that term. Is that work-play-love thing? It absolutely is, and it's a balance of all of it. And and. And so I just want to sum it all up with, with Michael Josephson, who wrote a wonderful little, a little um, essay on that. It's called a, a Life Worth Living. And he said this. He said, to sum it up, what makes it all worthwhile? Ready or not, someday it'll all come to an end. There will be no more sunrises, no minutes, no hours, no days. All the things you collected, whether you treasured them or forgotten, will pass to someone else. Your wealth, your fame, your temporal power will shrivel and become irrelevant. It will not matter what you owned or what owned you. Your grudges, your resentments, your frustrations and jealousies will finally disappear. So too will your hopes and your ambitions and your plans and your to-do lists will expire. The wins and losses that once seemed so important will fade away. It won't matter where you came from what side of the tracks you lived. In the end, whether you were beautiful or brilliant, male or female, even the color of your skin won't matter. So what will matter? How will the value of your days be measured? What will matter is not what you bought, but what you built. Not what you got, but what you gave. What will matter is not your success, but your significance. What will matter is not what you learned, but what you taught. What will matter is every act of integrity, compassion, courage, or sacrifice that enriched, empowered, or encouraged others. What will matter is not your competence, but your character. What will matter is not how many people you knew, but how many will feel the lasting loss while, when you're gone? What will matter is not your memories, but the memories that live on in those who loved you. Living a life that matters doesn't happen by accident. It's not a matter of circumstances, but it's choice. Choose to live a life that matters. Thank you.
that little essay by um, 